10. I got it on now, brother. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, very interesting chapter. We only got a couple more chapters left, and uh, we're just moving right along through Ecclesiastes. I thought Proverbs was a challenge, but Ecclesiastes is a double challenge, but it's been a blessing, and I've got a lot out of it. I hope you've got a lot out of it. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and uh, there are several things in this chapter, uh, like uh, the world's taking uh, some phrases out of this chapter, like um, a fly in the ointment, and um, the cutting edge is mentioned in this chapter, and also um, a little bird told me, and that is in verse, uh, I believe, um, uh, 20. And uh, so there's a lot of things that um, uh, comes from the Word of God that we think is just cute sayings, but it's straight from the Word of God. Amen? So let's stay in all the Word of God. We're going, I'm going to read one verse, let you read one verse, and we've got a lot of time, so we'll take our time through this. I'll read the first one, y'all read the second one. Dead flies cause the ointment of the apothecary to send forth a stinking savor. So doth a little folly him that is in reputation for wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart, right hand, but a fool's heart. Nothing against you left-handers. Yea, also when he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. If Boy, Facebookers ought to read that twice. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun as an arrow which proceedeth from the ruler. Folly. I have seen servants upon horses and princes walking as servants upon the earth. Whoso removeth stones shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood shall be endangered thereby. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment, and a babbler is no better. The beginning of the words of the mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mischievous madness. The labor of the foolish wearieth every one of them, because he knoweth not how to go to the city. Blessed are thou, O land, when the king is the son of nobles, and thy princes eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. A feast is better for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things.
Amen. You may be seated as we pray. Thank you, Lord, for this chapter. Thank you for the truths that can set us free. Lord, help us not to get caught in the trivial. Help us not get deterred by the follies of this life, especially sin. And Lord, help us to take chapter 10 as a divine warning about getting sidetracked and about uh, little things that sometimes um, rob us of your presence and your power. And Lord, I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to realize how important our testimony is and, God, that we'd guard it with everything that we have. Lord, thank you so much uh, for this good church. Lord, as I was reminded today as I sat in another church, I was thinking about changing the name of their church because of such a terrible testimony of the church and how the pastor's afraid to even take the church because of all the history. Lord, I thank you for a church that loves each other and a church that has a good testimony. And Lord, I pray that we guard that testimony and be a loving, kind, giving, soul-winning church that lifts you up without compromise for the rest of our days. We're going to thank you and praise you for the lessons learned in chapter 10. In Jesus' name, amen. It was uh, December 29, 1972, an Eastern Airline flight. 401 uh, flew from New York to Miami with 178 people on board and the well-qualified pilots were flying a new Lockheed passenger jet that was in perfect working condition. The entire flight was routine until 11.23 p.m. at the flight as the flight began to, its approach into Miami International Airport and on the approach one of the pilots uh, noticed that the landing gear light was off and indicating that the landing gear was not locked into position. And so the pilot cycled the landing gear again, and, and, but still the light remained off. At this point, the pilot requested to be placed into a holding pattern to diagnose the problem before landing. And permission was granted, and the plane climbed to an altitude of 2,000 feet over the Everglades. And the plane was placed on the auto, autopilot, and one officer was sent below deck to visually determine if the landing gear was down. And the rest of the crew removed the light assembly. During their investigation, the plane began to descend, uh, and they didn't perceive it. First 100 feet, then three minutes later, another 250 feet. The altitude warning chimed, but no one noticed it. All were focused on the landing gear light bulb. Fifty seconds later, the plane was at 1,000 feet. Recorded conversations indicate the pilot then realized that something had gone wrong. And ten seconds later, this perfectly good plane, flown by perfectly competent pilots, crashed at 227, uh, 227 miles per hour into the Everglades swamps at 11.42 p.m. And 101 people were killed and 77 survived. It was determined that some point, the captain inadvertently leaned against the control stick while working on a little light bulb. And this slight pressure nudged the autopilot into an imperceptible descent. And by the time the pilot began to be aware of the descent, it was too late. And for four crucial minutes, the flight team focused on a light bulb rather than on their flight. And the reason Flight 401 crashed was Distracted crash was the distraction caused by a burnt out 
light bulb. After challenging us with uh, the values that count all through verses or chapters 1 through 9, Solomon begins to talk about folly. He mentions it nine times in this chapter. Just little folly. And um, he begins to talk about how not to be distracted by little things. Just little distractions. Or maybe little sins. Or even great sins. And so I want you to look at verse 1 through 3 and we see first of all that uh, trivial distractions destroy valuable reputation. Trivial distractions destroy valuable reputation. Look at verse 1. Dead flies cause the ointment of a apothecary to send forth a stinking savor, so doth a little folly, just a little folly, him that is a reputation for wisdom and honor. And so the little folly is like a dead bug in the bowl of a medicine. It pollutes the whole thing. Look at verse 2. A wise man's heart is as a right hand, but a fool's heart is at his left. And Solomon's day, the left hand uh, was a sign of weakness and dishonor. Turning to the right was a metaphor for strength and honor. And so the message is that we need to have temperance, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. You cannot be temperance. You'll probably be temperamental without the fruit of the Spirit. Amen? But folks, temperance means you need to control yourself. But you need not to control yourself. You need to let God control you. I was sitting in a church today and, and they were talking about the history of a church that one of my dear friends was considering taking. He wanted about six of his preacher friends to come up there and pray with him and counsel with him. And uh, it's so sad to say that the church is, is full of one family that's totally dissenters and totally been dismissed from another church and, uh, and is totally wrecked uh, uh, several lives and relationships and folks listen we need to realize that sometimes it's best to keep our mouth shut it's sometimes not to say what we think and folks we see in this chapter uh, that the thoughtless words and foolish behaviors but most of all the rash reactions can damage your testimony folks it does matter what you say and it does matter how you say it and look at verse 3, it says, Yea, also, when he, is, he that is a fool walketh by the way, his wisdom faileth him, and he saith to everyone that he is a fool. And so, folks, thoughtless words, uh, thoughtless reactions. You know, your reactions are showing. 85% of all actions are reactions. You're reacting to me, I'm reacting to you. And, folks, a lot of times we can plan actions, but we can't plan reactions. So reactions are really the sign of what kind of heart you got. Because anybody can plan on being good or plan on being calm. But when you're approached or when you're offended, the Bible tells us that we need to let our reactions be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Folks, there's no one on this earth should control you. And if somebody makes you mad as a wet setting hen, I don't know where I got that phrase from, I think it's South Georgia, uh, they're controlling you. Because you are mad and you're sad and you're depressed because of their actions. And folks, there's no one on this earth that should control your reactions and actions except the Holy Spirit. It's a sin to let people control you. And I'm talking about reacting thoughtlessly and coming back foolishly. And a, a person can fly off the handle and lose not only his handle, but he can lose his name. 
You can lose your reputation. Most important of all, your testimony. I want you to look at a few verses. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Uh, King Solomon's talking about how to uh, not get down off the wall. How not to, uh, not to battle the trivial. Not to fuss and fight with somebody. Sometimes it's best uh, to lose a, a, a battle and win the war. It's sometimes better to lose an argument than lose a friend. Sometimes it's best not to get in the argument and engage in that. And this whole chapter is about the folly of reactions and the folly of being reactatory and always coming back on people and always fussing and fighting and finding a, a place to uh, take all your energies and all your strength on defending your pride. Look at Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28, please. This is a great chapter. I hope I can convey to you how much it's touched my heart. Proverbs 25, verse 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit, little less, that's disposition, is like a city that is broken down and without walls. In other words, if you can't control your temper, you are in pitiful shape. You can't control your reactions. And folks, you cannot really. Only the Holy Ghost can. Galatians chapter 5. Turn with me there. I know you know these verses, but it's good to see them. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, please. The Bible says this, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, singular, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Everything else from there comes out of love, joy, peace, long-suffering. That means you're patient with people that hurt you. Uh, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and then here's the word temperance. Against such there is no law. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. 2 Peter chapter 1. Reminds me that our men's breakfast, Brother uh, Roger Kennard, is going to be bringing our devotion. Um, I guess it's next Tuesday, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is, yeah. And he'll be giving the devotion uh, right before the knife switching, or knife swapping. Knife switching. That sounds like something on the, in the ghettos. But look at this. Uh, look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Now look at verse 8. For if these things be in your, you and abound, they, may, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that saying? You can be barren spiritually if you can't control your temper. Uh, leadership especially does not, do not need to react to every problem. And uh, matter, matter of fact, you amplify a problem if you react publicly. You ought to praise publicly and criticize privately. Like a managerial principal earned in college many moons ago. And so first of all, trivial distractions like getting mad or reacting to people that hurt you and getting sad destroys your valuable testimony. Number two, temperance tested. Temperance tested. We see in verse 4 through 5, it says, If the spirit, that's a little less, disposition, the spirit of a ruler rise up against thee, leave not thy place for the yielding pacifieth great offenses. There is an evil which I have seen under this sun as an arrow which proceedeth from the ruler. 
Now, we need to discern the trivial matters is not worth sometimes the cost of engagement. It's not worth the price of conflict. I don't believe you ought to be a compromiser, but you shouldn't let little things or little people or foolish people tilt your will. A lot of people used to have a bad temper in this room, but you got so old now you ain't got the energy to fight. No, uh, but uh, go ahead and raise your hand, Brother Larry. But I want to tell you this, friend. Uh, things can forfeit your testimony. I was watching the news a little bit this afternoon. I didn't get into late, and I just caught a little bit of it about a dentist, a well-known dentist that uh, had road rage. And, uh, and uh, then there was racial slurs because she happened to be a black woman uh, dentist. And the husband got involved, and to make a long story short, through that road rage, her husband got shot. Uh, got mad at the wrong person, probably some redneck from Lawrenceville over there or something, I don't know, but uh, I want to tell you something. That's foolish. That should have never happened just because somebody cuts you off. Or so, and, folks, I've seen people, and I've done this. We get, into, uh, we get into fits of anger, and we don't even know the person, never speak to a person. I've heard of people in Atlanta, Georgia, being shot because of road rage. They pull up beside them and just shoot them, and uh, it's pathetic. I was talking to uh, the lieutenant today about our security team in the meeting, and, and I said, uh, is, uh, you know, uh, are you going to bring all the material, or do we need to print some? And he said, no, i got all the material you need. And uh, folks, listen, it's a shame that we have to have a security team in the house of God or around the house of God. But we live in a wicked and, and, and day, and folks, most of the uh, violence in the house of God is because of violence in their own house. There's some betrayal some uh, out-of-control husband or out-of-control wife or out-of-control children and it boils up of rage and jealousy in the home and then they know where that wife is on Sunday morning. They come and, and disturb the whole assembly and kill more than the wife. And that's, uh, that's history. And, that, and folks, listen, we need to realize that it, that shouldn't ought to be. Let them be. The Bible says in verse 8 and 9, it says, He that diggeth a pit shall fall therein, and whosoever breaketh the hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Whosoever removeth stone shall be hurt therewith, and he that cleaveth wood uh, uh, shall be endangered thereby. He's saying, listen, just let them fall in their own pit. You don't have to be the judge, jury, and trial of somebody that's foolish. And these people will fall into their own pit. They will, it'll cost them. Number three, trivial words destroy valuable influence. Trivial words destroy valuable influence. I want to tell you something, friend. Words can destroy your ability to lead because if you keep on uh, bringing the axe out, so to speak, and that's a picture of your influence, and you spend all your time trying to sharpen others instead of sharpen your own soul, uh, Solomon gives us some great wisdom on this. It says in verse 10, if the iron be blunt, that's losing the cutting edge. And, and it says, and he do not with the edge, then must the pot be put to more strength, but wisdom is profitable to direct. Surely the serpent will bite without enchantment. In the Bible days, there were a lot of enchanters, and they would have uh, snakes, and they would play the instruments like you've seen in the movies, and that was true. And he says, listen, a serpent will bite without enchantment. Uh, bringing them out of the basket. And babblers is no better. Now listen to this. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious. 
We can stop right there and go home or come to the altar. The words of a wise man are gracious. You know, it's not a matter of all what you say, it's how you say it. Now look at this. But the lips of a fool will swallow up himself. If you spend your time and energy, and this is what this whole chapter is about, responding, in, in, you know, often to hurts and foolish people, you will exhaust yourself and you will take the energy that you could invest in the valuable relationships and ministries that you ought to have in trying to straighten everybody out. You'll lose the cutting edge. The edge of an axe in Solomon's metaphor here could be represented by purposeful, valuable cutting edge. I mean somebody that has a great testimony but also has great control and great um, uh, composure during the times where people talk about it or talk about the hurt. The cutting edge is part of your life that leads to progress and, and growth and usefulness in God's hand. You take the high road. You stay your course. You don't let a loud fool distract you from being, being one just like him. And so, folks, we need to take Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3 home tonight and realize probably this is the whole crux of the matter. Turn to Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms. Just keep on going back and you'll find it. Nehemiah chapter 6. I want you to look at verse 3. You know the problem. Sam Ballot and Tobiah and all these guys are trying to get uh, the wall from being built and, and they thought to do mischief and they sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work, uh, Nehemiah says, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? In other words, he says, I don't have time to debate. I'm going to declare that I got a job to do, a wall to build, and a name of reproach has fallen upon uh, God's name, and I'm going to restore the walls, clean up the rubbish. Folks, leaders guard against being a contentious spirit. If you're contentious, you breed contention. Division and strife eventually eats itself alive. And folks, you can let fools dig their pits, but keep building the wall. Stay on the wall. Let fools waste their energy on folly, mentioned nine times in this chapter, but don't you be a part of it. Colossians 4, verse 5 says, Walk in wisdom towards them that are without. And wisdom is this. Don't react. Respond. Before you ever say anything to somebody that hurts you, you ought to pray about it. Pray for them. You ought to pray for them. You ought to go to bed and not count sheep. You ought to count your blessings. Amen. And you ought to realize that God has sent them in your life to humble you and to and to maybe uh, redirect you, and, and you need to be focused on what's valuable. Just need to stay focused. I know that sounds like some kind of leadership uh, speech, but it's biblical that you stay with a cutting edge. Don't come off the wall. Don't fight every fight. Let God fight some fights for you. And don't uh, use uh, unwholesome words to put people in their place. The natural tendency is you hurt me, I'll hurt you. 
Amen. And that don't work in leadership, and it definitely don't work in spiritual leadership because a lot of people you try to help will break your heart. That's right. A lot of people you try to help, they'll leave this church and never say bye. A lot of people you hurt will turn on you and talk about you and hurt you. But folks, listen, if the leader goes around and continually tries to follow this foolish matter of, of hurt, uh, he takes all his time and, he, and, he's, and he's, he's like an axe with a dull egg. There's nothing worse than a... Uh, hey, I'm going to tell you something. I found out a chainsaw with a dull egg is pitiful. Put it in the ground a couple of times, go through a tree, and it gets into the dirt. Folks, it, it's, it's not worth cranking. You got to go over here to um, Joanne's cousin over here, uh, uh, the sharpener, amen, and let him sharpen that thing one little edge at a time. Right, old Frank Lassiter, isn't that it? Yeah, uh, you go over there and you'll talk about 15 hours before you get your blades. Thing. What a blessing, what a fellowship. Good old godly man, praise the Lord. Y'all know him. And I want to tell you something, but he takes every little blade, Brother Glenn, every little blade all the way through that chainsaw until it's razor sharp. You crank that thing up, and you don't have to press on it. You don't have to worry about it. And that's like the old times with the axes, you know. Uh, you, just, you just keep on, uh, you just you have a, 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 a sharp edge. And folks, this is the lesson. Stay on the cutting edge. Don't get down in the murk and the mire of disputes and problems and just walk in wisdom towards them throughout. I want you to see in the New Testament uh, how Paul exhorts Timothy to remain focused and not get off the wall. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Very interesting chapter. I'll come back to that opening illustration in just a minute. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and look at verse 14. The Bible says this. Of these things put them in remembrance, charging them to be for the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit. Now the first thing he's telling him as a commander with a military charge. You ever been around military people? They don't ask you to do something. They tell you. Praise God. It's the orders. Praise God. It's the order of the day. Amen. I have a kind of a military spirit sometimes around the house and my wife knocks it out of me. No, not really. But, uh, you know, I'm just saying, friend, Paul's saying, hey, there's no debate about it. The first thing I want to tell you, young preacher, I want to charge you before the Lord that you strive not a, about words to no profit. In other words, stop arguing and keep preaching. Stop debating and start and keep declaring. I was challenged by Church of Christ preacher after I preached my mother's funeral and mentioned grace too much and half his congregation was there because my sister uh, uh, joined that church when she married. She married into it. And uh, he challenged me to three debates. He said, I'm coming to your church, and then I'm going you to come to my church in Lawrenceville, the Church of Christ. That's how they call it. It's the only church that's going to heaven, the Church of Christ. Not a church, the Church of Christ. And then he says, we'll find a neutral place. I said, whoa, 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 just wait a minute, one, one minute. Number one, I ain't debating you anywhere because I ain't got time to come off the wall. And I said, I want to tell you another thing is, don't you ever say anything to about how I preach my mother's funeral. And I want to tell you something. I made him so mad, he turned my sister against me. And my sister hadn't spoke to me in three years or more. And it's sad. And folks, listen, I probably shouldn't have answered the fool. 
But I mean, biblically, a fool says, you know, you have to work for your salvation. Amen? That's foolish. That's foolish doctrine. And I want to say this, friend. Uh, I did have one thing straight when I said to him. I do not debate the Word of God. I declare it, and I don't even have to defend it. God, the Holy Spirit, will defend it. And so, folks, listen. There's a temptation to come off the wall. And there's a temptation to break it down while you're arguing and let the wall fall on your enemy but it says but listen to this but it says but subverting of the hearers study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth now listen it goes on look at verse 15 16 but shun profane and vain babylons for they will increase unto more ungodliness. The more you debate, the more confused you'll get. And the more you'll waste your time when you could be studying to show yourself approved. A workman needs not be ashamed. Folks, this is chapter 10 summed up. I want you to turn to another chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6. No, let's go down to 2 Timothy 2, 23 while we're in, we're in that chapter. It says, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strife. Foolish and unlearned questions avoid. You know, everybody wants to debate. And folks, I want to tell you something. What we need to do is win souls and declare. Look at, uh, go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 through 5. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. I'm interested in this instructions to this young preacher. It says, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get any more wholesome than that. And to the doctrine, I like doctrine, that's teaching. I'm trying to stay calm tonight and teach and not preach so much, but it's hard for me to do that. It says, and to doctrine which according to godliness. Now look at verse 4. He is proud knowing nothing but dotting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, but such withdraw thyself. Now, folks, it's not always chicken to walk off from an argument. You need to realize who you're arguing with. I'm just going to say this. Proverbs says you can't teach a fool a thing. And you're wasting your time. But it's not foolish to declare the Word of God and preach the Word of God. But I want to tell you something. It's foolish for you to take all your time. And that's what Calvinists do. That's what Church of Christ do. They're just a bunch of debaters. And they're so mentally intellectual, they think they can say that one person's saved and one person's not saved. They have the gift of evangelism or something. And that's a bunch of baloney. But I ain't got time to go down here and debate with Kenzie Drive or the new Reformed Church up here, all i got time to do is go door to door in this place and win people to Jesus before they confuse them. It's almost cultic. It's as bad as the contemporary movement. If you think that you're uh, predestined, foreordained to, to go to hell, you got another thought coming. You're predestined, foreordained to go to heaven. And it's your fault if you don't go to heaven. Amen. Now, I know God's foreknowledge. I know He can go back and look back, but we can't. So we need to treat everybody as a whosoever because they are a whosoever. But folks, I want to tell you something. That is vain 
religion, when it's wanting to debate all the time, and, and, and they want to study why Baptists are wrong. I went to a church of Christ one time when I was 12 years old to try to get my uh, uh, sister out of it. And so I, I said, well, you need to come back to your Baptist church. She said, well, I won't come until you go, go to my church. So I went, and so help me, they put on a blackboard, seven reasons that Baptists are wrong. I was the only one sitting there. I mean, about nine, nine of us on Sunday night. And he, and he said, seven reasons why a Baptist is wrong. Well, they're on a blackboard. I said, I think, Diane, he's preaching at me. And then after I went through all that, she didn't come back to the Baptist church. Amen. I wasted my time that Sunday night. Shouldn't even been there. God helped me to get more wisdom when I was 12 years old. I've only been saved in a half a year. But I want to tell you something, folks. God help us to not come off the wall. Not to get tied up in folly. Don't get all obsessed by a light bulb when there's a plane going down. See, that's what we do. We try to debate. We try to declare. We try to get even. We don't have time to get even. We need to have time to go see, see people saved and help people spiritually and not stop. And independent Baptists are debaters too. They want to... They want to prove how right we are. Well, I don't have to prove nothing. Just preach the Bible, back it up with the Word of God, and praise God, just go on anyway. Amen? I believe we ought to defend the faith. I believe we ought to preach on the King James only. I believe we ought to do several things like that, but not in a debating spirit. There's the key. It's not going to profit because they've got you where they want you. Come on off the wall, Nehemiah. Come down here and debate with us. Come down here and hear how bad you are and how wrong this wall is to be built he says I ain't got time for this I'm building a wall to restore the name of Jesus in this place and he did record time now last but not least no excuse me we're away from last but not least the trivial purposes destroy valuable opportunities trivial purposes restore valuable opportunities I guess it is last but I hope it's not least Look at verse 16, please. Isn't this an interesting chapter? When I first read it, I said, oh my, here's another one. I can't even understand it. Amen. I didn't go debate about it. I just prayed. Look at this, verse 16. It says, woe to thee, O land, when thy king is a child. Folks, I'll tell you what, leadership ought to be mature. Look at this. It says this, and thy princesses eat in the morning. Blessed are thou, O land, when thy king is the son of nobles and princes is eat in due season for strength and not for drunkenness. I'll give you what that means in just a minute, I believe. But look at this. Uh, it says in verse 17, Blessed art thou, O land, when the king is the son of nobles. Now folks, listen. These closing verses teach us about self-control in our life when we are attacked by people in leadership. And it reminds us that maturity is not an age or how long you've been here or passing years. Maturity is not reached by passing years, but consistent obedience to the will of God. I don't care how long a person's been in leadership, if he hasn't consistently submitted to the will of God, he's probably still a baby and still immature. That's what these verses are saying. And we see leadership and competence in verse um, 
16. It says, consumed with themselves rather than others. Look at verse 16. Woe to thee, O land, when the king is a child and the princesses eat in the morning. In other words, they're in it for what they can get. And so verse 16 and 17 talk about indulgent leaders. You know, the people that are immature and they don't, they're not a good steward of, of, of their influence. <clears throat> they don't own up to the responsibility they have. And they don't execute faithfully the service that they've been entrusted to. Whether it's politics, the church, or the home, good leadership takes good care of their followers. Amen? They're not in it for what they can get. They're not hirelings. Bad leadership exploits people and uses people. That's what Solomon did. Bad leaders are lazy, incompetent, uh, self-serving. And the outcome of that leadership is found in verse 18. It says, By much slothfulness, laziness, building decayeth, and through idleness of hands the house droppeth fruit. The roof falls in. Now folks, I want to tell you something. The outcome of bad leadership is all the structure breaks down. I mean, whether it's your family, whether it's church, whether it's business, whether it's school, I'm telling you folks, a disengaged leader that's in it for what he can get should expect a collapse, a, a disaster. The bottom line is good leadership is concerned about the fellowship and loves the fellowship. Folks, we see this classic profile of self-serving leadership uses others to care for himself. It's a fool's philosophy of leadership. I'm in it for what I can get. And my people are so beneath me, I can treat them like subjects and not like friends and like family. And if that's not the climate of politics today, I don't know what is. And folks, we need to pray that God would give us some godly leadership that would be there for serving God and serving others. And so what's the motive of this? What's the story, the bottom line? I'll get to it in verse 19 and 20. Well, you need to run. You need to run. You need to run from anything that destroys your testimony. You need to just be, not to be distracted by uh, anything or anyone. You need to realize that um, you have a great opportunity. You're a leader. You're a God-called leader. And uh, folly is like a fly in medicine, verse 1, and it spoils the whole cure. Folly tarnishes a lot of ministries, wrecks a lot of families, um, derails a lot of good purposes. And so folly comes in a wide variety of forms like silliness out of leadership, wickedness, wastefulness. At the core, it's irresponsibility and it's immaturity. Remember, it's not the many years that you put in leadership. It's the many years that you yielded to the leadership of the Holy Spirit that makes you mature. It's not how old you are. There's a lot of older people that are very immature. But folks, we need to realize that folly comes by wastefulness, arguing, being temperamental, the scary thing about folly is everyone is susceptible to it. <coughs> no one's immune to it. I want you to look at verse 19. A 
feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Curse not the king. Curse not the king. That'd be a good thing for uh, this day and age of, of Facebook and Twitter, Twitter, or whatever it is. <clears throat> curse not the king. You know, instead of edifying, defending the faith, a lot of people are just cursing the king. I mean, they're not satisfied with any leadership, politically, spiritually. I've even seen, uh, heard of, of wives get on there and, and telling off their husband. If you ain't got enough guts to argue personally, stay off Facebook, amen? You know, some people act like they never see their husband except on Facebook. Honey, I love you. Happy birthday. Well, didn't you tell them personally that, amen? I know, I know, I know I'm touching your little Facebook. But I want to tell you something, folks. And some people crucify each other on that thing, amen? Have you ever noticed that? And it's pathetic. And, folks, I want to tell you something. We ain't got time for that stuff. We need to put our face in his book, amen? That ought to be our Facebook. This book, amen? And we ought, to, we ought to see his face every day. We ought to lift up his face. And I'm not preaching against Facebook. I'm preaching against the abuse of all kinds of communication that brings you to the level of just getting even or just low-rating somebody that didn't like you. It doesn't matter how many likes you get. It matters if God likes what you're doing. Amen? Some people live for likes. I mean, they actually go into depression if they don't get five or six real quick. What's wrong with me? I'll tell you what's wrong with you. Get in the book, amen. Get in God's book and get concerned about what he thinks, amen. I didn't know I'd chase this tangent, but it feels pretty good. The scary thing about folly is that everyone is susceptible to it. No one is immune. Even the wisest men can be crushed by trivial things. I, I'm a fixer. And uh, right before the service, there is a line of lights out on our tree. And it's, it's getting close to time. I've been studying all day. I've been trying to stay in the book, counseling some preachers and stuff. And I thought, you know, I've got everything I think straight. And probably after this message, you probably don't think I do. But, man, I started getting distracted by that light being out so I'm going to fix this thing I got a tester and started touching all the wires and I thought what am I doing Good night. I'm fulfilling the message I'm preaching against I'm trying to find a string of lights that's out my wife said honey I'll go buy a new line tomorrow I said nope I can fix this thing amen over a light bulb but I want to tell you something folks even the most qualified pilot in a perfectly good plane. In 1972, December 29, was distracted. And because he tried to fix one little light bulb, the plane crashed at 227 miles per hour into the Everglades. And 101 people not because the landing gear did not go down in place, because the light bulb was blown that indicated that the landing gear was in place. Now, folks, listen. There's a danger of you coming down on your enemy's level. 
And I want to tell you something, friend. God did not call you to be Mr. or Mrs. Holy Spirit. He can handle His truth. You need to declare it. You need to love them. You need to, you need to stand the ground. You don't need to compromise. You don't need to be a wimp and just run from every battle. But I want to say this, friend. Every battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. And we can't fight every battle. Or I would do nothing but fight battles. I would start a, I'd start a periodical called It's Own. Praise God, let's debate. Let's, let's just, you know, uh, uh, and, and I have a dear friend that started a, uh, um, uh, a web page. Call up and let's argue. That's what, I mean, he didn't say it that clear, but that's what it was. And all these preachers would, would uh, write in and call in and, oh, it was on and on and on. That's why you'll never see me discuss doctrine on Facebook because all the fools chime in. They're going to be the first one to comment. And they're going to bring up all this intellectual stuff and all this stuff. And folks, I want to tell you something, folks. That's not the, that's not the place to debate. The place to debate is bring them into the house of God and let the preacher preach the foolishness out of them. Amen. Let her rip and just preach the truth. Amen. But we can spend all our time with the follies and we'll lose our cutting edge and then a little bird will carry that voice and it'll amplify it and amplify it and amplify it verse 20 says curse not the king nor the thoughts and curse the rich in the bedchamber for a bird of the, in the air shall carry the voice and that which has wings shall tell the man the devil now listen to this, this is closing statement and we're going home early. The devil wants to amplify every problem. And if you let it, you're, you're coming off the wall and it's folly, it's silliness, it's sin. I know not everything's silliness and not everything's sin, but I want to tell you something, friend. God help us to realize, God help us to realize it's his battle. He can defend his name. And what we need to do is take the truth and let the truth set them free. Don't get worried about every light bulb that goes off. Just keep flying the plane. Stay on course. Trust your instincts led by the Holy Ghost. And praise God, I'm going to tell you something. When you do that, God will magnify himself more through your spirit than your words. And so folks, I believe there's a way to take a stand and still be a gentleman. I believe there's a way to be a, take a stand and still be a godly lady. And I believe there's a way of, uh, of, of defending and standing and contending for the faith without losing your composure. It's like flies in the ointment of the apothecary. It pollutes the whole cure. It becomes a stinking savior because we lose our reputation, our wisdom, and our honor. Chapter 10, verse 1. But a wise man's heart is strength and honor and composure. Father, 
thank you for this chapter. The first time I read it, I'll be honest, I was confused. And I could not get it together. Lord, thank you for speaking to my heart about the truth of keeping the cutting edge by staying focused on the truth. And Lord, there's a lot of people out there trying to get us in the flesh. And they're doing a pretty good job of it because they're so wicked, so ungodly, so nasty, so, uh, so, so, so uh, offensive. Not only towards us, but towards God. God, may we not lose the cutting edge and keep wisdom and truth. And Lord, at the same time, have compassion that will heap coals of fire even upon our enemy's head as we have temperance and meekness and faith and joy and gentleness love. Lord, help us to exude the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, to a lost and dying world. And Lord, we thank you that we at the same time can stand for the faith, not compromise, and preach doctrine. We'll praise you and thank you that you do in it through our life. With every head bowed and every